Blob Talk Radio. Yeah. Mike, check. Mike, check. One, two. One, two. One, two. For you. Yeah. <laughs> you saying? Word up. That. Biblical, biblical, theology, theology, study, the person of God, attributes. God's word is like a breeze in the tropics, and Jesus got the keys to the cockpit. He's the king, the priest, and the prophet, so please watch as we proceed with the topic. Uh, yeah. And that's biblical theology, that phrase alone, they give some people allergies. Uh, they say it's not practical enough, uh-huh. just give me Jesus, that will be enough. That seems plausible and logical. Nobody wants to be all cold and theological. But being a theologian is not optional. Because when you talk about Christ, you're saying something doctrinal. Either it accurately portrays his majesty, or it's a travesty, or worse, blasphemy. You can do a global search. This mark is crucial to the health of a local church. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. What do I mean by biblical theology? The whole theme of the scripture and God's the key. It's following the Bible storyline and the ultimate goal is seeing God's glory shine. What he starts, he finishes with dedication. A work of art from Genesis to Revelation. From God's creation to man's fall to redemption to consummation. His designs and structure each time will fluster. What mind can instruct the divine conductor? His worthiness sits enthroned in the heavens sturdy and fixed. Romans 11.36 Biblical theology encompasses Who God is, what he promises, and accomplishes So clever we behold his endeavors unfold The greatest Greatest story story ever ever told told. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey The faithful are a statistical anomaly The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically That's why we need that biblical theology Lord God, deliver us from apostasy The human heart is given to idolatry The situation is critical, we got to see the importance of biblical theology. Yeah. The Lord has not decided to keep us guessing. Thank you, Lord. He gave us the word providing us correction yeah. and the spirit for guidance and direction. Biblical theology is like protection from ourselves and our improper reflections so we can follow the Bible, not just our reflections. Otherwise, we will chop it into sections and not make the connections like the doctrine of election. And Satan is waiting to slice us in the mincemeat if our faith is a mile wide and an inch deep. Theology is like the root of a tree, which determines how rich the fruit's gonna be. And by God's grace, he'll breathe on us with his breath, lead us in his steps, show us his eagerness to bless. And we'll experience true peace within our depth, because we'll know the meaning of Jesus and his death. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. Uh, that is coming through or not on the board. Uh, 
Um, but uh, glad to be here today. And uh, my wife is still uh, out. Uh, she's actually at a at a meeting today. Um, pretty big meeting dealing with the uh, local um, abortion issue around here in Charlotte, and uh, strategizing on some ways to where she and others can uh, get involved and talk with people about the issues of life and uh, the importance of, uh, of really why, as a nation and as a culture, we should absolutely support um, the pro-life position and should uh, definitely show the, uh, the terrible evils of abortion. And she actually does a show on Friday nights on this uh, same network, actually, so you can hear her there. Um, but uh, tonight we are going to have a special guest, uh, my friend Thomas, uh, I'm sorry, not Thomas, but my friend Ted is going to be with us, and we are going to be uh, talking about the doctrine of hell, and uh, we're going to be looking at uh, some of the many uh, objections that are sometimes uh, used on that, uh, kind of against the doctrine of hell, and uh, the yeah, we're going to look into it and see exactly uh, the best way for, for Christians to be able to respond. So, with that being said, let me go ahead and pray, and uh, we will kind of jump into the show. So, Lord, we just want to thank you uh, for giving us another day to uh, be able to come and wake up and just to enjoy the things of God and uh, the common grace, Lord, that you've given to all of us. Um, waking up, being able to have air to breathe, food to eat, and just uh, be able to enjoy your your awesome and marvelous creation. Pray, Lord, that this show will just go out and um, proclaim your word, proclaim truth, and hopefully give some clarity to some of these tougher issues. And we thank you and praise you in the name of our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, well, my buddy Ted is going to be calling in probably around 6.30. And um, so until then, I wanted to just to talk about a few things. Um, if you have not uh, liked us on Facebook yet, uh, I would suggest that uh, you can go to our page, facebook.com slash theology matters with the police. That's facebook.com slash uh, theology Matters with the Blues, and you can uh, actually get our updates. One of the things that uh, I was wanting to, to kind of talk about uh, in the news um, has been this Gosnell uh, case. Um, and it's, it's really, you know, the media kind of ignored it. I was uh, reading an article by... Uh, uh, I think the guy's last name is Cahill. He's on Fox, uh, Fox News a lot. And um, one of the things he was saying was he thought that the, the media um, did oftentimes uh, just ignore this case, what they call kind of a blackout, uh, because they thought it might hurt uh, further pro-life, uh, I'm sorry, pro-abortion, uh, the cause for that. And so they they didn't report on a lot of the gruesome, just gory details uh, that have been found in uh, in this case. 
go to, uh, for example, if you, if you uh, go on Fox News or, or basically any media source now, they're finally starting to report it. But, uh, you know, the man had uh, basically taken babies' lives after they were, after they were born and uh, decapitated them. Uh, after they're again after they're born, and one one nurse said that uh, she was even even playing with the child, and uh, and it was after that uh, she ended up taking the child's life. And uh, so what I wanted to do was kind of uh, was look at some of these uh, arguments that are often used uh, in favor of abortion, and uh, there's some there's some really good books out on this. Uh, this article is coming from uh, Randy Alcorn. And if you guys are not familiar with Randy Alcorn, I would really suggest uh, looking at some of his work on this because it's very good. Uh, he's he's done, a, done a great job on this. So I would definitely, definitely uh, suggest you guys uh, check him out, hear uh, him on this issue. One of the arguments is that the unborn isn't a person. You hear this all the time, right? It's, it's uh, look how small it is. It's only a few cells. It can't think. Um, it's basically, you know, less advanced than even an animal. And, uh, of course, the problem with this uh, is, is that size doesn't determine, uh, determine personhood, right? Size never determines So with life starting at conception, uh, there's no new genetic information uh, that's added into the cells. So all the cell or all the information um, that you have at conception, there's nothing new. There's no more information being added uh, into your into the DNA uh, until you're you're dead. I mean, after or until you die, there's, there's no more information uh, being added uh, to the cells. So what determines you is, is not size. It's uh, life begins at conception. So it, it's really regardless. It doesn't matter how how small the person is. Uh, you know, basketball players are normally taller than most of us, but uh, we certainly wouldn't say that uh, they should have more rights or be more protected than us uh, who are smaller in stature uh, because size doesn't determine uh, whether or not Someone should have rights or not. But you hear this, you hear that, those those type of appeals uh, all the time, and I think they're just they're very salacious. And then you hear uh, commonly, every woman should have control over her own body. That one comes up uh, all the time. Every woman should have control uh, over over her own body. And uh, the problem with this is is that. Uh, in the case of abortion, that's begging the question. Uh, what it's what it's saying is uh, it's assuming that that uh, it's not uh, a human being in the in the womb, and that's that's kind of what we're arguing that it is a human being in the womb. So to say, well, uh, you know, you can't uh, you can't tell me what to do with my own body assumes that. The person in the womb is not his own self, it's not his own person, and that, uh, that uh, you know, it, it, it would be, if 
that was the case, if uh, if the baby in the womb uh, was not its own person, then the argument would be would be you know right there. Uh, but it's it's false because of that. Folks, I'm having a little technical difficulties. I'm going to try doing something. Um, just kind of bear bear with me for a moment. Okay, that uh, that may work. Um, I'm not sure if anybody can hear me or not. Um, I'm going to play, play a song real quick, and uh, I will be back and uh, try and get some of these uh, technical technical difficulties uh, out of the way here. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. The entire family at the Visible Conservative Radio Network would like to wish you a very Merry Christmas and invite you to join them as they learn about and celebrate the reason for it. Join Devin and Melissa Pellu Thursdays at 6 p.m. on Theology Matters as they discuss topics related to biblical theology, Christian apologetics, and worldview issues. Then it's Pro-Life Fridays at 6 p.m. with Thomas Smith, Letitia Wong, and Melissa Pellu. They discuss all the issues pertaining to protecting the sanctity of life and defending the most defenseless. On Sundays at 6 p.m., it's Reality in Christ Worship Radio. Join Thomas Smith for an uplifting two hours of worship and word straight from the heart of God. He'll be teaching the reality of Jesus Christ and the price that was paid on Calvary. As you celebrate the coming of the new year, celebrate the new life that is ours through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year from the Visible Conservative Radio Network. Okay, well, <laughs> give you guys a little Christmas music to listen to you there, but uh, that's okay. I think uh, I think we may have got uh, some of the difficulties uh, fixed, and uh, I'm just going to keep talking and. Uh, and hopefully uh, you guys can hear me okay. Got some people here to tell me if I'm uh, if you guys can hear me okay, or if I'm not coming through at all. If not, we can we can try something different again. But uh, what I'm going to talk about, uh, what I was wanting to talk about again was was uh, the issue of abortion and just kind of answering some of these uh, arguments that seem to come up quite a lot uh, on this issue. And uh, we talked to. Uh, Talk for a second there about uh, you know the unborn isn't a person, right? Look how small it's only inches in size. Uh, it's, it's you know it's not really a person. And uh, we talked about how that is just really it's, it's a bad argument because size doesn't determine whether or not um, someone is a person, right? Basketball players are are often uh, are often taller than, than other people, and uh, we wouldn't want to say that those people have more rights uh, than us just simply because they're bigger than us. Uh, it's just a bad argument. Life begins at conception, and there's 
no new information added until you, you die. I don't know why I keep saying until you die, but clear clear until you die, there's no new information added. Uh, there's more, you know, more information, more copies and stuff like that of DNA and more cells constantly being made, uh, but there's no new information being added. Um, so life begins at conception, and therefore that's why uh, we would argue that because life begins at conception, to take the life uh, of a of a human, and that's what we would call it, would be a human being. Granted, it's smaller, uh, but it's still a human, uh, would be to, to uh, unjustly end uh, this person's life. And we would say that that's wrong, that's evil, and uh, certainly nothing should, nobody would want to support something like that. Although, many do. Let's look at the next argument. Uh, woman constantly, uh, or Hear the argument of um, it's my body, my body, my choice. Uh, if I want to have an abortion, my body, please tell me I can't have an abortion. And of course, this ends up begging the question. Uh, it begs the question because it assumes that uh, the child in the room is not the own person. And that's kind of the whole thing that we're arguing. She's um, she's assuming what it is that we're trying to argue. The, that would be the problem with that. Is, uh, that's not the way you want to go. That's the way, not the way you want to argue uh, on that. Third, um, you hear that a lot of times the question, I'm personally against abortion, but I'm still uh, you know, pro-choice. They personally wouldn't do it, but uh, who are they to tell others uh, what they can do? And this obviously would be a major problem as well. Um, because you could come back and say, well, I'm against uh, owning slavery, but or owning a slave, but you know, who am I to tell others that they can't own slaves? So obviously we would see problems with that. Um, just because you're not doing it personally, uh, doesn't mean we wouldn't want to stand and uh, you know make a personal stand against uh, such evil actions and such evil acts, right? Uh, because if you really you know were to bring that to its to its logical conclusion, um, then you know what do you what do you end up with? Well, I'm not for for child molesting, but uh, you know I don't uh, think we should make laws to uh, prohibit it. Well, of course, that's, that's obviously ridiculous. Um, whether you personally do it or not, there uh, really has no bearing. Uh, we, we, bottom line is uh, we shouldn't do it because we need to, to be able to uh, to protect those who are the youngest among us. And really, that's kind of what the government is there to do, is to keep a stable society. So that's that's a couple of the the arguments that uh, you hear often that uh, are just not any good. Let's look at look at a few more. I'm still trying to work out this some of these technical difficulties, so bear with me. Um, well, you hear sometimes about well, the child's not wanted, right? The child's just uh, the child's not wanted, so why should we? force 
someone to be a parent uh, when they don't want the child. Of course, the fallacy with this would be that they are, they're already a parent. They're already um, a mother. They're already a father uh, because life starts at conception. So if life starts at conception, uh, the idea that, uh, well, you shouldn't force them to be parents, well, that, that should be, that, that's, that's the argument you would use before uh, they ended up having sexual relations. So they're already a parent. And uh, now that they're in that situation, they need to uh, obviously do whatever they have to do, whether it's adoption, whatever it is. Uh, other, I think we, you know, we were a civilized society for the most part. Uh, we've come a pretty long ways. I would think we can do things better than uh, just executing the child, and that's that's what we would say. Um, simply because the child is unwanted wouldn't mean that therefore it's okay to take the child's life. Uh, because if you think about it, take a look at orphans for example, right? Orphans, uh, those who have been adopted or those who are waiting to be adopted, uh, some would say, well, they're not wanted. Well, we certainly wouldn't say that it would be okay to go ahead and take the life of orphans. They'll bomb, you know, orphans, orphanages, orphanages uh, because there's, there's children in there that are not wanted. Uh, simply because they're not wanted uh, wouldn't, wouldn't mean anything. It wouldn't... Uh, there's not a justification in taking someone's life because they're not wanted. It, and if you really take it to its logical conclusion, again, even farther, uh, not only orphanages, but uh, what about nursing homes? What about homeless people? So you see the, you see obviously the problems with that. Let's see. What about a woman whose baby is uh, going to be born with handicaps? Well, we see this a lot, too. It's really sad, actually, because if you look at uh, if you look at the stats um, with okay, that's good. Being told uh, they can hear me now, so that's that's good. Uh, if you look at the stats, especially with Down syndrome children, uh, it's something like 90% of children that have Down syndrome end up getting getting aborted, and uh, I think that is just an absolute tragedy that uh, you could actually target a child in the womb and take their life. Down syndrome is not a fatal disease. Down syndrome is, you know, people can live with Down syndrome and be fine. Uh, I don't think it's up to us to decide uh, whether or not, uh, you know, a child should be, you know, have his life or not. I think that uh, definitely, uh, you know, it's still a human being. It still uh, deserves protection and uh, definitely needs to be uh, protected. And so whether or not the baby is deformed, whether or not the baby has biological issues, it's just, it's just simply not uh, a good reason to be able to go ahead and end the child's life. I think that would just be... Uh, it's irresponsible. I think it's wrong, and um, uh, I just I think that it's just an absolute terrible reason uh, for someone to have an abortion. 
And then, uh, of course, this one comes up a lot. What about a woman who's pregnant due to rape or incest? You know, that, it's an emotional it's an emotional issue. It definitely is. It's it's a hard issue. It's a hard issue to deal with because you know we recognize uh, that this happens that uh, that women uh, are raped and it's a horrible situation. And I think we would never want to downplay that. We would never want to uh, you know act as though well, it's, it's the woman's fault or you know tough luck. Um, Rape is a horrible thing, but uh, at the same time, you don't want to compound one evil of the rape with another evil uh, of taking the, the child's life. Yes, rape is, is a terrible thing, but it doesn't justify taking the life of the child. There's always adoption, and I'm not sure why, why uh, you know, so many people at times seem to really... Uh, be against this idea of adoption. Um, I think if you look at the statistics, uh, there are a lot of parents that are waiting to get children that would love to adopt children. So people are there. Now, me and my wife go to the abortion clinics, uh, you know, quite a bit. Haven't been there for a while. Uh, actually want to get back. Uh, but, uh, you know, we've seen people there with signs saying, hey, don't go in and have this abortion. We will adopt your baby. We'll take your baby. So there's people there that want the children and people there that will take the children. Uh, so this idea that, uh, you know, adoption is somehow, you know, there, there's mo so many children and there's nobody that wants them, I just I don't think that's true uh, at all. So kind of back to the rape thing, you know, I, I think if a woman... Say she's raped, say she decides to go ahead and deliver the baby, um, and then two years goes by, and she's washing the dishes and suddenly has a terrible flashback uh, and ends up uh, getting angry and getting a knife and stabbing her two-year-old child to death. Well, certainly we would not say that, uh, well, that, you know, that uh, the baby was conceived and raped, uh, so, therefore, she shouldn't be punished because of what she's done. Well, of course, we would say that's taking a life. She murdered a child. Again, there's no difference between the child at conception and the two-year-old speaking in as far as the human nature. It's ontology. It's still a human being. Now, granted, the two-year-old is a little bigger. It's a little more developed. Uh, but a ten-year-old is a little more, you know, is a little bigger and more developed than a two-year-old. Uh, but we wouldn't say that the two-year-old is less of a person. So we just want to be clear on that. Uh, just because the child is is in uh, is smaller or not as developed, again, you would just, you know, go right back to that. Uh, the child at conception, if life begins conception, and there's, you know, you can read your leading embryologist and uh, your medical textbooks, and it's not, it's not a debate. It's not, uh, I mean, people know that life begins at uh, conception. So, and I would say this, even if it was, even if it was, uh, for example, even if it was, uh, people were debating it, 
and people were saying, oh, well, we don't know when life begins, and we don't know uh, when life starts. Uh, okay, but if you don't know, I remember I remember this with uh, with Rick Warren when he was uh, interviewing uh, President Obama on this at his church, and uh, as they were talking, he you know he he asked him you know when something to the effect of uh, you know when does life begin, and President Obama uh, responded with uh, it was something to the effect of uh, that that's above my pay grade. Well, I would hope I would hope you guys would be able to see the problem with this, uh, because if you don't know, then why in the world would you be pushing for abortion? Why would you have it legal? Now, if I owned a construction company and I'm the, the boss, and uh, excuse me, I do have a cold, so I, I apologize for for that. Uh, but if I if I have a construction company and I'm building a building and I have to go and I have to uh, knock down a building and I send my foreman over there and uh, I ask him, is everybody out of the building? And uh, he says, well, you know, I, I think so. I'm pretty sure. Um, am I going to go ahead and, and uh, knock the, the building down and blow it up? Am I, would I do that? Of course not. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do that because people might be there. People might be inside. I wouldn't want to to take the chance of blowing anybody up. So it would be the same with this issue of abortion. Uh, if I don't know, if I don't know, then. Uh, if I don't know, then I'm certainly I can't take this human life. Uh, if he does not know when life begins, then you simply you simply don't act. You don't try and pass laws that are going to um, promote and make legal abortion. Why? Because you could be taking the child's life. Think of it this way: If you're out deer hunting, for those who have have gone hunting before, uh, if you've been deer hunting before and you hear something in the leaves, something rustling, uh, you wouldn't just grab your gun uh, and start shooting it. I mean, <laughs> at least I hope you wouldn't. Uh, you you wouldn't do that because you could be wrong. You could end up taking somebody's life. It could be a person. It could be a deer, but it could be a person. And if you shot the person, what's going to happen? Well, you're going to be charged with murder. So those type of, of, of arguments of, well, um, we don't know when life begins. Well, we do know. <laughs> we absolutely do know when life begins. Um, but even if we didn't, uh, even if we were unsure, well, then, of course, the responsible, logical, and rational thing to do uh, would be to, uh, um, I would not want to say err on the side of caution because it's not err, uh, but to go on the side of caution. That would be exactly what you should do. If you don't know, you don't shoot. Another one that comes up uh, often is um, what if the what if the woman can't uh, can't afford them. Right, they're born into these places, and uh, the 
mothers can't afford them and uh, or they can't take care of them and who's going to feed them. And, yeah, it'd just be better to have an abortion because you're bringing them into a situation where there might be drugs and there might be violence and, you know, you're just bringing them into a bad situation and the mother can barely take care of herself. And so since the mother can barely take care of herself, well, then, of course, you know, why uh, why would you want to bring a child into the world? And of course, the problem with this is, is life starts at conception. So it's not a question of should you bring a life into the world. The life is already in the world. The question is, you know, <laughs> do you have the right to, to kill that, that child? Um and I would say absolutely not. Again, there's homeless people. Uh, there's orphans. If you found a five-year-old kid, if you're up in the mountains, for example, or even if you're younger than five, if you're up in the mountains, for example, and uh, you and your wife are there and you're there for a weekend getaway, and at 2 o'clock in the morning, someone bangs on your door, you go, you open up the door, and there's a little baby sitting there. You say, well, you know, we just have enough food just for us, or you know, we don't have enough money to take care of the child, and you shut the door on the child, the child freezes to death and dies. You know, what's going to happen? You're going to be charged. Uh, the child, again, the child outside of the womb is no more of a human than the child inside of the womb. We're talking about ontologically the nature of being. What is uh, a human person at conception? That's when life starts. That's when a human being begins. And so, uh, again, the only difference is going to be uh, the size. Um, there's actually Scott Klusendorf Clus- uh, uh, does a really good job on this with uh, with SLED. And uh, he uh, gives the acronym, again, of SLED. It's uh, Size, Location, um, environment and the, the level of uh, de- dependency, and um, you know, again, we've kind of gone through the, the size and uh, the location, this type of stuff. Um, most of the arguments that are going to be used for abortion are going to end up uh, right in, in going to fall in one of those one of those categories. So, with that said, I have uh, I have babbled on. Long enough. I'm having some just terrible <laughs> difficulties here, and um, I think uh, I think we got some of them fixed. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and bring a good friend on. Uh, tonight's topic is going to be dealing with uh, the issue of hell and uh, how Christians uh, can answer uh, these questions that often come up. Um, hell is one of the hardest. Uh, doctrines to uh, to, uh, to square with God's love, uh, but the Bible teaches it, and so you know we have to be able to talk about it, and we have to be able to answer some of these big questions uh, that come up. So we're going to deal with that. Uh, my friend Ted, who's actually uh, going to be joining us, he is uh, he is a, he's actually one of my professors at uh, Southern Evangelical Bible College. Um, he is the executive director of Cross-Examined uh, Apologetics Ministry. If you guys are familiar with uh, Frank Turris uh, and, and his work, 
uh, uh, Ted works with them and uh, does, a, does a lot of good stuff uh, with the universities and college campuses and really goes around uh, defending the faith. And uh, we can bring him on and have him tell us a little bit about himself. Uh, Ted, are you there? Yes. Hey, man, yes, Devin, I'm here. Going? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. Okay, I'm kind of flying blind here. I'm having some, some bad technical difficulties, so I've been babbling for the last 40 minutes trying to uh, <laughs> have a coherent uh, topic to talk about and at the same time trying to fix whatever was going on. But uh, uh, How are you doing today, Chad? Doing great, uh, Devin. Thank you for thank you for having me on, brother. Oh, not a problem at all, man. Tell us tell us about yourself. I um I didn't have the information there on uh, what degrees you may have or what schooling you're still doing. Sure. Yeah. I, um, my undergrad degree is in anthropology, and my master's degree is in apologetics with a concentration in, in philosophy. And um, I was working on a doctorate um, that right now that's on pause, um, working with Frank Turek and. I also teach as an adjunct professor at uh, at two seminaries here in Charlotte. Hi, you work? Yeah, I know you do. You teach at uh, SES and also um, the, what's the, the name of the other uh, Bible college? Yeah, the other school is called uh, New Life Theological Seminary. It's in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's a great school. Great, great. What do you teach there? I teach uh, Introduction to Apologetics. Uh, introduction to logic and creationism right now. Oh wow, cool! Yeah, it's a great class. Talk to us a little bit about uh, cross-examined and, and what you guys do out there for those uh, who may not have heard. Absolutely, Devin. Um, thanks for asking. Um, well, Frank and I have been friends for about um, probably going on 15 years now. So uh, Frank and I's friendship goes back a long way, and as many of you know. Um, Frank and myself and many others who uh, went to SES uh, were mentored by Norm Geisler. And uh, so Frank and uh, Dr. Geisler wrote a book together a few years ago called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. It was actually Frank's uh, doctoral dissertation and uh, turned into a fantastic book. Uh, But part of the reason why Cross-Examine exists, in fact, probably one of the main reasons why, is because of a, of a big problem that we're seeing in the churches, and uh, you know, there's there's a lot of reasons why, but um, a lot of the statistics are showing that about 75% of our young people, once they leave the church, they're going to actually leave forever, and they're they're going to basically step away from Christianity. And in fact, there was a recent Barna study that was uh, you know released a couple of a couple of days ago that all uh, bore that out as well. Um, that in the generations, you've got the mosaics that are coming up, and it's showing that. Uh, this new generation coming up is more and more identifying themselves as non-Christian or, uh, you know, at least having positions that are uh, unchristian. So, and that that seems to be the case. So, cross-examine exists so that we can go uh, into churches, we go to college campuses, we go to really anywhere we're invited, and we try to provide solid reasons why Christianity uh, is true. And uh, as the name implies, we we cross-examine uh, ideas. Uh, against each other, against the claims of Christ, because we believe that there are good reasons why people uh, should believe in the Bible, why people should believe that there's a God, and why people should believe that Jesus is is the is the Son of God. So uh, that's kind of sort of it in, in a nutshell. 
Let me ask you, why do you think that is? Why do you think that there's, um, especially among uh, younger younger people, and I, I was one of them at one time, why do you think uh, sure. it is there's such a disconnect between uh, Christianity and, and their real lives? Sure, David. You know, that's a great, great question. Um, there's there's been a there's a lot of people that are putting their heads together and trying to figure this out, but um, probably the truth be known, there's really not one factor, but there are some factors that come to to the surface. And one, you know, being a pastor, I was a former pastor for seven years. Uh, one of the things that I noticed uh, being a pastor and talking to my other friends who are pastors, and that is that uh, that a lot of churches don't teach doctrine and they don't teach uh you know not only their young people but even their own congregants they don't teach them what they believe and why they should they should believe it so um it comes from uh kind of a culture in our church where we're kind of preaching to the choir and uh you know so that kind of trickles down it's not happening in the home as well so uh but but there's a lot of reasons why the other reason why is because you know young people will go to to the colleges and because they don't have this firm foundation in their faith uh a lot of professors, in fact, I think the overwhelming majority of college professors identify themselves as atheistic, and uh, they take pleasure in trying to tear down the faith of these uh, Christians who are not really well established in their faith. But uh, so it's kind of sort of a lot of different factors. And I, but I would say one of the main ones um, is probably because uh, we have not done a good job of preparing people in the church as a pa- as pastors, as teachers. And uh, it's a big problem, and, and we're seeing we're seeing the fruit of that right now. So we're kind of cross-examining, kind of exists to fill in that gap, try to to try to stop the leak, if you will. Well, that's good. That is, uh, I know you guys do a great job, and I uh, that book. Uh, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Is, is certainly one that I uh, recommend uh, all the time when I'm when I'm talking with people. So. I'm curious. We've got about uh, 15 minutes or so before we switch gears. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, when you're on campus and you have uh, kids that are looking for reasons that God exists or evidence that God exists. What's some of the things you say? You know, one of the things, if, if people have ever read the book, uh, I don't have enough faith being an atheist. It's actually it's actually broken up into uh, 12 major questions, and really to simplify that. Uh, we we don't have a lot of time to spend on the 12 points. We call them the 12 points. Um, they're called the 12 points that prove Christianity is true. So if we don't have a lot of time to talk about every single 12 point, 12 points in our outline, we really go, we really focus on four fundamental questions. And um, and here they are. And here's the questions. These are very very important vital questions. So, so depending on how you answer these questions, uh, will depend on what you view Christianity as. So the first question is. Does truth exist? The second question is, does God exist? The third question is, is the New Testament reliable, or is it historically reliable? And then um, finally, or excuse me, the number three is, are miracles possible? And, and number four is, is the New Testament historically reliable? So uh, truth has to exist. There has to be a God. Uh, God has, has to be able to perform miracles in the world that he created which he, he can and does if there, in fact, is a God universe. And then finally, uh, we can look at historical sciences and archaeology and manuscript evidence to try to establish the fact that the Bible is um, is the actual uh, word of God. So we kind of take that, that four-question you know, four approach, and we, we try to answer those questions. And the first question, you know, you think that, well, why do you have to even defend the fact that truth exists? But the point 
and, uh, and so we spent a lot of time trying to establish uh, something logical, law of non-contradiction. So uh, very, very important, especially in this day and age in which you know people want to be tolerant. It's one thing to be tolerant, you know, of, of other people's positions, but it's another thing to say that you know two opposite beliefs can both be true at the same time. Uh, that it's just that violence basic fundamental law of logic, you know, uh, either Jesus is God or he's not. Either there is a God or there's not a God. There's no there's no third option. So uh, we, we take that seriously. And in fact, George Orwell said one time, he said that the first duty today of intelligent men is to restate the obvious. And uh, sadly, in our culture today, we're in a situation where we have to defend what's, what we think would be common sense and would be obvious to everybody else. But the fact of the matter is, is that uh, most people don't believe that truth is absolute. But we have to defend that. Secondly, we look at God's existence and we offer uh, three or four arguments for God's existence: uh, this, the uh, the origin of the universe, the design of the universe, and the fact that there is something called a moral law uh, that uh, can't come from you know the natural world. And we think there's really good strong evidence. But, you know, it's one of the interesting things, Devin, that I've discovered since I've been working for Frank and speaking at universities. And uh, let me just say this. Is, I think it's a very important point. Um, some of the atheists that I've met on the college campuses, uh, the most vocal atheists that I've met, after talking to them after our sessions, one of the interesting things that I've seen, patterns that seem to have, have been emerging, is that these people come from a former, quote-unquote, Christian background. And I thought that was very curious, and I started kind of researching it further, started asking questions, and as it turns out, a lot of the, a lot of the background that they come from is a very legalistic, uh, from very legalistic churches who, who uh, really, uh, you know, emphasize, you know, that, you know, people shouldn't, you know, women shouldn't wear dress or shouldn't wear pants and that kind of thing. So uh, sometimes, sometimes legalism in the church can do just as much damage as just outright, you know, um, is outright just not teaching the Bible. Uh, so some, something to be aware of. Okay, great. That is definitely interesting. And that kind of goes back to, uh, you know, if God does not exist and uh, miracles and everything else is just out the window, so you kind of have to have to start with the existence of God, right? Absolutely. Tell us about the CIA. I know that's, that's coming up here in... Uh, in the, well, get towards the later end of summer. Can you hear me okay, Ted? Uh, yeah, you're breaking up a little bit, a uh, little little choppy there, but I think you're asking me about CIA, our, our Cross-Examined Instructors Academy. Is that right? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, yeah, CIA stands for, again, it stands for Cross-Examined Instructors Academy. And what it is is we have this. This year it's going to be uh, held on August 8th through the 10th in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it's a three-day intense program where you can learn, anybody can learn, how to present the main arguments for uh, for our book and for the apologetic. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, which, which are basically goes over the four questions that I just mentioned. Uh, we, we teach you how to defend truth, how to defend God's existence, how to defend miracles, and how to defend the New Testament. And uh, we, we do this. It, it, with keeping in mind that you're probably going to be doing it in a hostile environment. So uh, you have three days of intensive training. Uh, you, get, you get taught by Frank Turek, uh, Greg Kokel, Stand to Reason, uh, Dr. Richard Howe, who is a philosophy professor. And this year also we have uh, joining us Jay Warner Wallace, 
who uh, also just joined uh, Stand to Reason. He's the guy who is the former oh, – I think he still maybe still do it, but he's a – a uh, cold case homicide detective and just a really really sharp guy. He has a book called Cold Case Christianity, and I don't know if you have uh, read that, Devin. But uh, anyway, we have got a great lineup this year, so you're going to learn from some great people at Cross Examine Instructors Academy. People can go to our website, crossexamine.org, and they can click on CIA at the top of the screen, and uh, they can sign up. But let me just let me just say that uh, we are filling up fast. So if you are interested in joining uh, us this year. Uh, get your application in pretty quick because uh, our our, uh, our classes are filling up. Yeah, I, I definitely want to go in and be able to hopefully do that this time around. I've got to see all my friends do it before, but uh, I haven't got to do it yet. So, uh, you know, it looks like we actually have a call, Ted. Uh, sure. sure. Are you there? Hello? Yes. Hello? Hello? Yes, can you hear us okay? Yes, sir. I can now. How are you Is doing? Is it me today? you're talking to? Yes, uh huh. Where are you calling from? Hey. Uh, I'm, actually, I'm calling from Rossville, Tennessee. I'm a surprise caller. I was listening to uh, the program on Facebook. And I believe Ted knows who this is. Yeah, it's my dad calling in. <laughs> I, I I wasn't picking up the, the program, so I thought, well, I'll call the number, and I was actually getting the conversation. But, I, of course, I'm going to plug him. Uh, I, we had My church had the experience of uh, having uh, Ted and his team uh, come and speak to us. And uh, we're just thrilled to death that any church that has an opportunity to get uh, uh, Ted and his folks, uh, Frank, to, to come speak to them, it's well worth the time. And it's so informative, even for a, a, a simple layperson like myself. But uh, I don't want to hold up your time, keep up your time. I just wanted to listen to the conversation. And... Uh, wow. And, son, I'm proud of you, and you're doing a great job. Thanks, Dad. Appreciate it. <laughs> well, that's, that's pretty cool. That's, uh, always nice to get a plug-in from, from Dad, right? Absolutely. That's good. So uh, that, that'll that be good, then. We'll, uh, I think we'll be, be looking forward to doing that. Uh, I know the last uh, few CIAs, uh, when you guys do this, what do you – kind of what's the focus? Is it um, – more academic? Is it just kind of more how to uh, present, do presentations, uh, deal with hostile crowds? How, kind of what's the, the focus on that? It was really choppy earlier, so I'm, I actually I can hear you good now. So I think uh, I think everything is up and running again. So I might uh, okay. I have to repeat a question or two. So you can sure, no problem. A lot of what you were saying, but. Uh, yeah, talk kind of about CIA. What is it exactly uh, you guys do? Yeah, the Cross-Examined Instructors Academy, every every summer we conduct this, uh, basically at the end of summer, three days of intensive training on how to present the uh, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist um, ideas. 
So, for instance, we, we teach people how to defend truth, how to defend God's existence, how to defend miracles, and how to defend the New Testament. And so it kind of sort of is a two-pronged approach. We, uh, we give content, and then we also give tactics. And this is where Greg Kokel comes in, where uh, not only do we give you the content of actually what to say, and, and we, we're hoping, in fact, if you fill the application process out, uh, it's for people who already kind of sort of have a knowledge of apologetics anyway and want to take their training to the next level but don't really have enough time or money to go to a seminary, this is the next best thing in which uh, we train you how to go to your church, how to, to speak to schools, uh, colleges, or wherever, um, how to present this material in a, in a hostile environment. So uh, we teach tactics. We teach methods. Uh, you know, you get to do a presentation before – imagine doing a presentation before Frank Turek. It's pretty, pretty nerve-wracking. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that is. But it's great experience. It's great experience too, because uh, you know if you're you want to give this material to the people who wrote it, and uh, it really gives people invaluable experience to uh, you know to hone their skills in, in presenting truth. Right. Better to have them have them beat the crap out of you there. <laughs> than, exactly. Uh, out in the universities, right? What's uh, exactly? I'm curious, what's some of, your, some of your experiences? Uh, on the schools, are the students pretty receptive to it? Or are they combative? Uh, how do how do they take it? Oh, for the most part, most students just absolutely love it. I mean, it's uh, again, we go over the four questions: uh, Does truth exist? Does God exist? Are miracles possible? And is the New Testament historically reliable? And you know, I would say, Devin, probably ninety-seven, ninety-eight percent of the of the of the you know the people that we presented to absolutely love it. And you know, even Christians who who maybe you know these kids have been Christians for a long time, but they've never really heard these reasons, and they really respond. They're like so thankful and grateful that they have this. And then there are those, of course, who are atheists who want to argue uh, against a certain any particular idea, and uh, you know they sometimes will focus on the moral argument or uh, some other little uh, you know tidbit that Frank talked about. And uh, so you know for the most part, it's a very very positive response. But of course, there's always people who who want to uh, argue and debate you after the presentation. Right. Well, I guess that's good, though. I guess people will kind of see how to <clears throat> how to answer a lot of those uh, objections that are, that are always going to come up. Absolutely. You know, wh- one other thing I want to point out, too, Devin, is, you know, whether or not people go to CIA, I think it's important to study apologetics uh, for, the, for the main reason that it, is that if you're sharing your faith today, if you're, if you're a believer – and you are actively involved in sharing the gospel, uh, you're going to see, you're going to immediately see the need for apologetics because most people today um, are very, very hostile toward uh, truth. I mean, it's, it's it's always been that way, but you know, at least you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, people kind of sort of had a belief in God, but that that's not the case today. So if you're if you're actively involved in evangelism, then you'll you will see the need for apologetics. Yeah. That's- that's absolutely right. I know myself growing up didn't uh, didn't really know anything about apologetics, didn't know what it was, and uh, it really, you know, it's, it's one of those things for me, it really hurt my faith because, um, you know, I, I don't blame my parents because they had just came out of Mormonism, so they were, you know, trying to get on the right track as well. Sure. Uh, but, you know, my grandfather was an atheist, and uh, he fought in World War II, he was actually... Uh, from England, my mother was born in England, and they came over. And uh, so, you know, he was a hard atheist, and so 
you know, he was uh, a big-time evolutionist. He loved science, these kind of things. And, uh, you know, I just I had no no way to answer, <laughs> you know, that thought. You know, he... Sure. It's, uh, it's proven and it's fact and the Bible is just, you know, myth. Um, and it was. It was, uh, you know, watching um, Gary Habermas debate Anthony Flew on the resurrection. That's what really changed my life that night was actually that debate. But then just had this overwhelming desire to uh, really study uh, creation and science. And I remember, you know, afterwards talking with my grandfather and, uh, you know, presenting some of these evidences. And, uh, you know, he actually repented of his sin. And I wow. remember praying with him. He's Christ. Because he saw there were actually good answers. Uh, you know, he was, he was 80, almost 86 years old. And uh, you know, died months after that. That is great, Devin. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah, that goes to show you, you know, apologetics. And uh, being able to have a good answer uh, really does really does help. Absolutely, sure, it sure does. Well, let's uh, let's do this. We take a take a break for a couple minutes, and uh, we come back. We will uh, switch gears, so to speak, and uh, we are going to look into the doctrine of hell, and we're going to we're going to try and uh, answer some of the objections that come up, but also, you know, as Christians, how do we square? Uh, this this view of hell and uh, Ted's been on the show before you uh, you did a whole show on uh, on Noah's flood and flood geology if I recall. Sure. And, uh, so if you guys uh, are on our Facebook page or on the on Blog Talk, uh, you can find that uh, that episode as well as uh, numerous other episodes that we've done. And uh, we'll be back in a few minutes and. Resume with uh, the Doctrine of Hell. Over three chapters, the book of Genesis vividly describes a worldwide flood that began with all the fountains of the great deep bursting forth and the floodgates of heaven being opened. The reality of Noah's flood is the crux of the conflict between evolutionary and biblical worldviews. If this global deluge really happened, then the millions of years of earth history and evolutionary progression supposedly seen in the fossil record are swept away. The flood accounts for the major geological features and the vast majority of the fossil record. Indeed, the fossils themselves are a mute testimony to the truth of the flood. We find billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth. Just what you would expect from the biblical account. If Christians were to believe and effectively defend the biblical account of the flood, then the basis for the evolutionary worldview would largely collapse. Many people would be saved from such a great pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. To find out more from Creation Ministries International, visit our website, creation.com. Hi, this is Ted Wright, Executive Director of CrossExamine.org, and I want to invite you to come out this summer, August the 8th to the 10th, to Charlotte, North Carolina, to our Cross-Examined Instructors Academy. This year is going to be fantastic. We're going to have Jay Warner Wallace, Greg Kokel, our own Dr. Frank Turek, and many others. If you want to learn more about this, you can go to www.crossexamined.org and click on CIA to learn more about it and also to apply. This is John MacArthur inviting you to join me for Portraits of Grace. Men, have you ever been at work and realized you forgot to shave? 
Well, that's a good illustration of what it means to hear God's word and forget to respond. James said, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looked at his natural face in a mirror. This is not some casual glance either, but a careful, observant stare. Yet even a long, hard look is worthless if you walk away and forget what you saw. If you fail to respond because the image reflected in the mirror will soon fade when you don't make the corrections. Perhaps you've been putting off something that you know God's Word is instructing you to do. If so, don't delay. This is John MacArthur trusting that you'll look into the Word of God and become a true portrait of grace. Exactly what you've dedicated your life to as well. 
with that, uh, we are going to kind of jump into this into this doctrine. And uh, Ted, tell us about why you you wanted to do this uh, particular topic. Uh, I a little bit. Can you hear me okay? Oh, sounds like we're having problems again on the phone. Can Can you hear me okay, Ted? Yeah, you're breaking up a little bit. Uh, it's pretty choppy, uh, but I can barely hear you. Uh, I think you asked me about uh, why would we want to talk about this. Yeah, yeah. What exactly, um, uh, with the doctrine of hell, um, why, why did you particularly want to talk about uh, this uh, doctrine? Yeah, you know, it's obviously I, I totally agree. It's, it's not a pleasant subject. It's not um, not something that you you'd want to sit there and talk about, um, you know, but the fact of the matter is it is, it is a very important subject. And, uh, you know, what kind of sort of brings this home for me at least is that the fact that, uh, you know, life is so uncertain as we've seen in the past few days, you know, with, uh, with what happened in Boston and then uh, what happened uh, yesterday in Texas and just, you know, from the world, life is very fragile. Um, in fact, according to the CIA factbook, um, the CIA says that every day 154,000 people will die every day, and in the United States, two people will die every second. So, you know, in the few minutes we've been sitting here, probably dozens of people have died uh, in the U.S. Uh, from natural causes and, and other things. And so, the fact of the matter is that we'll, um, we'll go into eternity somewhere, and um, you know, there are a lot of religions out in the world. Um, have beliefs about the afterlife and about what happens when a person dies. You know, and Hindu, Hindus believe that uh, we're reincarnated. Um, you know, that so uh, you know if you lived, you have good karma. Uh, you know, if you did good acts in life, and uh, you're going to possibly be reincarnated into something better. Um, right. Right. Can, can can you hear me okay, Ted? Yeah, 